Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. The title I've chosen this morning is One Another Teach and Admonish. Colossians chapter 3, if you have a Bible with you. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says, if you have been raised with Christ, it opens the first line of the chapter. If you have been raised with Christ, what does that mean? If you've been raised with Christ, it means that you have come to understand your sin before a holy God. To be raised with Christ means that you have come to understand that God is holy, that you are sinful, and that you are in desperate need of a Savior. To be raised with Christ means that you have come to understand that the only Savior for sinful man is the Lord Jesus Christ. That through repentance of sin toward God, faith in Jesus Christ, who was crucified for your sin and raised for your salvation, And through confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, being raised with Christ means that you have been saved by God's grace and born again to new life. In this salvation, you are brought into a compelling Christ-created community, the church, and you are called to live life together with one another among God's people. Colossians chapter 3, if you have been raised with Christ, direct your attention down to verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Would you pray with me this morning? And as you pray with me, would you please pray for me? Father, I come to you as we approach this time in your word. Father, with holy fear, knowing my flesh on this matter. Please, God, protect me from my own words. Guard my heart and my mouth and my mind in Christ Jesus as I appeal to you, Father. And I pray, Lord, that through the instruction of your word this morning, your church will be built up to a better life with one another as we understand what it means to teach and admonish one another, what it means to speak to one another, what it means to sing to one another in light of having been raised with Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this morning as your word is taught in a great many places, indeed throughout the world, I pray, Father, that the sinner would be called to repentance and that you would save. I pray, Father, that the holiness of your people would be promoted and we would see our responsibility in light of your word to live holy lives as you have bought them for us with the blood of Jesus. And I pray that Christ the Savior would be exalted. In his name we pray. Amen. One another, teach and admonish. My goal is to stir us to thinking anew about what it means to sing when we gather as a church. Specifically, when we gather as a church for the purpose of worshiping God. I have a great many notes on paper. I have a great many thoughts in my heart, in my mind. I will do my best to keep them all succinct as the Spirit gives me ability and utterance. I would have you know, it's written somewhere on this page later, many people sit in churches and don't value singing. That may not be the majority of us in this room, but I would be willing to wager that there are some in this room who do not value the time that we just had. That's, that's sad to me, and I do pray that if anything of my effort this morning, perhaps thinking new about singing in the church, you will begin to value it. Even if you are not musical, even if you don't open your mouth and sing words, you will begin to value more greatly the time when God's people gather to sing. There is no other religion on the face of the planet that is called by whatever deity they serve to so 
passionately and so regularly and so truthfully lift their voice in song as the Christian. God's people are a singing people. God has made it so that we have the ability to praise him in song. You know, oh, pastor, you don't want to hear me sing. I only do that. This is the common one. I only sing in the shower. And God hears you, and God is blessed in his heart when you lift your voice in song to him. God is even more blessed when his people come together for the purpose of praising and worshiping him in song. No other religion... Many other religions have music, you understand. Don't hear me wrong. No other religion lifts their voice in song like Christians. And what do we sing? You can go to any number of churches and you can hear singing in the church house today. And you can observe other religions and there is singing. But what do we sing? We sing our faith. We don't just look at words on a screen and put melody to them that comes out of our mouth. We are actually singing the truth that has saved us. We sing our faith. I heard a pastor saying it's been influential in my life. Many saints will come to their dying moment and on their deathbed will not remember a word that I've said. But they'll sing a hymn. They'll remember a song that ministered to them. They'll be moved in their spirit as their spirit draws closer to eternity to sing, we're almost home. One another, teach and admonish. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I want to deal with that phrase for just a few minutes. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I would point out the first word, let. It is a responsibility of ours to be sure that the word of Christ dwells in us and not just in us, but in us richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I broke these down. Here's some work in my terrible understanding of Greek and the original language. It's helpful this morning. I broke this down for my own purpose and I wanted to share it. Let the responsibility of the Christian to open their life to the government of God's word over it. It's a mouthful. I know. I'll say it again to allow God's word to govern your life. Let, let God's word dwell in you. The word of Christ. What is the word of Christ? At its core, the word of Christ is the gospel message that we proclaim. That God is holy, that man is sinful, that Christ is the only sacrifice for sin, that through repentance toward God and of faith in Jesus Christ, we receive God's grace and we are saved. At its core, the word of Christ is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Moreover, all of the sayings of Jesus, all of the teachings of Jesus, all of the teachings collectively from scripture organized into 66 books, Old and New Testament, the Bible, the word of Christ, the doctrines of Christ, the facts of Jesus Christ. You'll understand as I progress through these words why I had to do this and why I'm doing this with you. Understanding these words in a succession helps us to understand greatly what it means to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let God's word govern your life. What aspect of God's word? All of God's word. Christ's word, Christ's teaching, Christ's factual doctrine given to you by God. Let the word of Christ dwell. Dwell in the Greek carries the thought of something that influences. Not simply a taking up of residence somewhere. Dwell has the thought behind it that something is influential upon us. Something that guides our actions, guides our speech, guides our thoughts. In his commentary on Matthew, on Colossians 3, Matthew Henry writes, 
The gospel is the word of Christ, which has come to us. But that is not enough. It must dwell in us. I love what he wrote. Or keep house. Not as a servant in a family who is under another's control, but as a master who has a right to prescribe and direct all that is under his roof. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, abundantly. Not holding back. I wonder this morning if we were to take a survey of those sitting here this morning, those listening, those singing, those gathered for fellowship. I wonder if we would be able to find out that the word of Christ is unreserved in our life. Is there an area of your life where you separate your life from God's word? No, it doesn't have jurisdiction there. I allow God's word to have jurisdiction in many places in my life, but not there. That I keep for me. That's not what this is saying to us. When it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, the word is saying, you're allowing God's word to permeate into every aspect of your life. Private, public, everywhere. Thoughts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. It flows in through and out of you. I love, and maybe this has been your experience, I hope that it has. It doesn't take long when you find two Christians occupying one space together before you will, test me on it, go ahead and test me on it this week. When you and another Christian so fully united with the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and love and life, it takes no time for the things of God to become the topic. The weather is insignificant. Sports mean nothing. What I'm going to do later today, it just fades as spirit in one testifies to spirit in the other, and the things of God flow out of that conversation and through it. And you're edified. You're encouraged. We talked last week. Encourage one another. How do we do that? By letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You will, by default, as God works in you, you will encourage one another. The psalmist wrote that God's word can, as they're all from Psalm 119, God's word can keep our way pure if we live according to it. God's word can keep us from sin if we hide it in our heart. God's word comforts us in affliction. God's word is a light and guides our way. Let the word of Christ dwell in you Richly, And God says, this is the working of my word, just a small sampling of the working of my word when you let it dwell in you. And so, as a point of application, just a few minutes into the sermon, does the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Does God's word dwell in you richly? What reason or what evidence would you give if asked, does God's word dwell in you richly? I'm actually asking you right now. Does God's word dwell in you? Can you tell me the last time you opened it for the purpose of knowing God more in your life? For the purpose of worshiping God new in your life? What reason or evidence would you give for the word of Christ dwelling in you richly? Does God's word govern your actions? Let the word of Christ, the teachings of Christ... Does the word of Christ govern your actions, your speech, your thoughts throughout the day, from day to day, all day long? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you are not sure the last time you opened God's word to be edified by the spirit of God through the word of God in your life, if you sit here this morning unsure of the last time you did that, I am challenging you. The word of Christ does not dwell in you richly. It may dwell in you, but it does not dwell in you richly. For something to dwell in us richly, we must be given to it wholly, fully, always. Pastor, I don't have that kind of time. The spirit of the living God will make that time if you let the word dwell in you richly. You'll be edified. 
I'm not saying do you spend hours in a study laboring over Greek texts and Hebrew texts and constructing words to say to people. I'm asking, do you open it and say, Father, edify and build me up through your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify me in your truth. Oh God, I pray. And then you read. When was the last time you did that? Does the word of Christ dwell in you richly? I would submit that there is a difference in the word of Christ dwelling in you richly and you're simply thinking about the word of Christ dwelling in you richly or thinking about having conversation about the things of God or thinking about having conversation or even simply talking about the things of God. Those are good things. I love to do those things. But God says, let the word of Christ, Christ himself, as it were, making his appeal to us, saying, let my word dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The verse doesn't, doesn't end there. It goes on. And it's interesting. I noted that across the English translations of the Bible, which I know there are several represented in the room today. I'm teaching from the English Standard Version. I know there are those in the room who have the King James. There are those who have the New International. There are those who have the Christian Standard. There are those who have the New American Standard. Praise God for different translations of Scripture that we can read and help us understand the things of God in different ways and in better ways. Across English translations, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, this verse is worded in reverse order. I am moving into, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. And there are those of you who have a copy of God's word in front of you that says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Teaching and admonishing one another. Notice who is teaching. Teaching and admonishing one another. This runs counter to the thought that I think pervades the church culture in America, that it is the pastor's job to do the teaching. That's true. It is the pastor's job to do the teaching. In the church, elders and pastors are the ones who are tasked with the specific responsibility of teaching God's people. In 1 Titus chapter, or in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible lists able to teach as a qualification for any man that would be a pastor in a church. It is the responsibility of pastors, elders to teach, but they are not the only ones who teach. I know pastor. It's pastors and deacons and Sunday school teachers and missionaries. Those are the ones who teach. Not according to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. I'm sorry you're all back on the hook. Whose job is it to teach and admonish? It is the Christian's job. You'll notice in Colossians chapter 1, one page back for me, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. God's word came to all of God's people at this church, and so comes to all of God's people today in the church, saying, it is your responsibility, brothers and sisters, to teach and admonish one another. Every Christian, to one degree or another, bears the responsibility of teaching and admonishing one another. This is likely not on the top ten list of sermons being preached anywhere in the maybe even in the world, certainly not in America today. And I think it's important for you to understand why I say that. When I say to you that it is your job, along with me, to teach and admonish one another, what just happened? I just opened myself up to be taught and admonished by you. Why do I think this is not a popular message in the world today? Because unfortunately, wicked men or those men tempted by sin have found their way into positions such as this and they use their own thoughts and their own teachings to do what they want with God's church and they will suffer a terrible judgment for it. If I never tell you that it is your responsibility to teach and admonish one another, then I'm able to hold you under my own teaching and I'm able to tell you that you don't know what you're saying to me. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I give you the Catholic Church. This is what Catholicism did throughout the middle centuries. We call it the Dark Ages, the medieval times. They shut up God's word and no one who was not a priest 
no one who didn't have a position within the church. They had no access to God's word. They only did what they were told. They could not refute anything. They could not contradict anything. It was only as the priest said. That's still alive today. The problem is that it's alive outside of only the Catholic church, and now there are men who use their position and their influence, never encouraging the people underneath of them, that it is yours to teach and admonish along with me, and so be built up. I think it's very important for us to understand this. As I teach you that we are to teach and admonish one another, I open myself up to be taught and admonished by you. Now, we need to understand what those words are. Teaching and admonishing. Teaching. To instruct in doctrine. That's a big word. Pastor, I don't like that word. That's a scary word. I've heard that word before. It's been used in my past. It's been used by people who I I don't think they were following Jesus. They were mean. They were rude. Their life didn't match up. I understand those things. To instruct in doctrine. What is the word doctrine? Simply, it's anything the Bible teaches on any topic. Doctrine is anything the Bible teaches on any topic, specifically teaching what we would say sound doctrine. Not just doctrine, but sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? I've used this working definition from another author for quite some time now. A summary of the Bible's teaching that is both faithful to the Bible and useful for life. Now we have a a granular perspective as to what it means to teach one another, to use God's word in a summary way, to summarize what the Bible says that is useful for your way of living, for your life, and is faithful to the Bible. What do we run the risk of? If it's just doctrine, it may not be right. It may not be driven from God's word. It may not be Christ's teachings. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. It may be from somewhere else. Our teaching is to flow from what the Bible teaches, and it must be right. I would say the book of Jeremiah is a clear example of God having absolutely no patience, no time for those who mishandle his words to people. Teaching to instruct in doctrine, to instruct. What does that mean? That's a big word. I don't, that's not a big word. We understand the word instruction. We understand what it means to give instruction, but I want us to make sure that we understand that instruction is not one person simply barking orders to another person. Instruction is not just do this, do it this way, do it at this time, get it done. I've given you instruction. I do this to my children. Welcome to a day in the life at the White's house. I said, do this, do it this way, do it at this time, get it done. I've instructed you right? Parents in the room, you're like, amen. Give instruction. Amen. However, instruction biblically means to help someone learn how to do something. It does my children no good if I say, go do this, get it done at this time, and walk away. God doesn't do that. God walks us through what it means. He shows us how to get things done. He helps us learn how to what? Follow him. And live a life that honors him. Instruct in doctrine to help someone learn how to do something. In this case, to help someone learn how to do what the Bible says. We are to instruct one another in sound doctrine so that we can live out the doctrine that we say we believe. It's one of the greatest challenges in all of the world today. The world doesn't believe us because we don't live what we say we believe. Why don't we live what we say we believe? Because there's a lot of barking of orders about what to do and not a lot of one another helping one another learn how to do what the Bible says. Teaching. To help someone learn how to do what the Bible says. You know why we don't do that? It's not necessarily a bad reason. It's not a good one, but it's not necessarily bad. You know why we don't do that? It gets messy really quick. It just flat out gets messy. If I start giving you instruction as to how to do what the Bible says, what am I going to come up against in your life? Your sin. You're going to come up against my sin. And even though we know we have to deal with sin, even though we know know that God is holy and we are sinful, 
we really don't like to step into the area of one another's sin. But I'm not going to be able to help you do what the Bible says if we don't confront sin. And you won't be able to help me do what the Bible says if we don't confront sin. It's not always sin. Sometimes it's simply exhortation. Brother, sister, the Bible says, let's get to it. Let's move this way. Hey, look, it's Jesus. Let's go that way. Teaching and admonishing. How many had a fear of the word admonish when you heard me say it this morning? I said admonish and you went, "Mm," because you think admonish is a bad word. And I don't mean bad word as in don't say it. I mean bad as in it only carries negative connotations in your head. I said admonish, and you thought that only means bad things. When you say admonish, I think of my dad yelling at me and me having my head down because I've done wrong and I'm being admonished by my superior, right? You thought of a job scenario, a work scenario where you were admonished and all you did was stand there and go, yeah, yeah, okay, I feel great now. Admonish has never been used to build up. And it is true that in the word admonish, there is the thought of warning, and warning can be strong. Why? Because it may be, brother, sister, I'm warning you of the effect of that sin. God's word says, but admonish does not only carry, in fact, I don't even know if it necessarily carries at all. It's just how we've come to understand it. A shaming impact to admonish, to warn, to exhort, to encourage. It's not just instruction. It's not just watch out. God says, don't do, do this. God's word is full of warning to obey him, but God's word is also calling God's people to the life that God has given them. Obey, follow, do what God's word says. Look, it's Jesus teaching and admonishing one another, to instruct, to exhort, and encourage. Here's what the word says. This might be a random call. Brother, sister, I just want to encourage you. God's word says do this. I'm praying for you today. Go and follow Jesus. That's admonishment. Nothing negative whatsoever in that. Teaching and admonishing. Now we come to the phrase, in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing in all wisdom. This is, as James says in James chapter 1, verse 22, this is not simply hearing the word, it is doing the word. Do not simply hear the word, and James says, deceive yourselves. He says, do the word in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Let's deal with wisdom. What is wisdom? Like grass level, grassroots level here. What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowledge applied You learn something and you do it. If I learn how to do a great number of things, but I never do what I've learned, I've simply learned something. I can teach my children, this is how you use a wrench, this is how you use a a drill, this is how you use a a chainsaw. Great. That's great knowledge, Dad. Are you ever going to let me use the chainsaw when you get a little older? You give instruction, you help, you gain knowledge. I wonder how much useless knowledge is in this room right now. What is knowledge? Knowledge is things we learn of something. What is wisdom? Wisdom is applying that knowledge. Now think of all the things you learned this week and you never applied and every kid in the room said, this is why I tell my mom and dad I don't need to go to school. What am I ever going to do with it? Wisdom is knowledge applied. Where does wisdom come from? Not just simply from the mouth of a parent. Not just simply from the teaching of a a teacher, a professor. Wisdom, Proverbs 9.10 says, comes from the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that Christ has become wisdom to us from God. James 3.15 and 17 says that wisdom comes down from above, from God. So when we apply the word of Christ that we are to allow to richly dwell within us, we learn what God's word says, and then we use it in our life We have applied knowledge, and we show wisdom. I wonder how much of God's word we've consumed and never applied to our life. That's not wisdom. That's factual knowledge that's doing nothing until it is applied. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. I noted various English translations have 
different placement for this phrase, in all or with all wisdom. Some place it after teaching and admonishing, like the ESV here. Some place it before. I spent a lot of time studying this. Why? Because as I read my words, I understand that what you're looking at may be different. And then we wonder, do we have reason to doubt or suspect what is being said? And I did a lot of research into this phrase, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. These are the two ways that it gets placed. I did a lot of research and reading and digging, and I cannot find where the meaning of this passage changes in any way, whether wisdom is placed before or after teaching and admonishing. The point is this. If the knowledge of the word of Christ that dwells in you is not applied then you have knowledge and no wisdom. Apply the knowledge of Jesus Christ. What happens if we don't? If we just simply learn, if you come every week and you're glad to be a hearer of the word, but you're never a doer of the word, one, the Bible says that you deceive yourself, James chapter 1, verse 22. And the next thing that leads to is our teaching and our admonishing is going to be off in the weeds somewhere. So as we come together as a church, if the word of Christ is not dwelling in me richly and I'm not applying what I learn of God's word and I'm not operating in all wisdom, then I'm not going to be able to teach and admonish you in any way that's going to be effective. It may not be counterproductive, but there's simply going to be no root because I'm not operating, as it says here, in all wisdom. I'm teaching and admonishing, but what is my wisdom? Is my wisdom from on high? Is my wisdom from God? Is my wisdom from applying Christ's word to my life and helping you apply Christ's word to your life? Our knowledge of Christ's word must be applied for us to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. I would also point out whether all wisdom is before or after teaching and admonishing, the first thing that is said is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Our wisdom flows from the teachings of Jesus. We are to let the word of Christ dwell in us in all wisdom so that in light of the rich indwelling wisdom of Christ's word applied in our life, we are able to teach and admonish one another. So how do we do it? How do we teach and admonish one another? Look what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing. Singing. I love singing. I love playing music. As a family, I don't care how weird you think I am. I don't care at all. As a family, we've been learning hymns together. We've been learning the hymn, And Can It Be? Just as a family, we sit in our home, all eight of us, which to some sounds like a whole lot. To me, I wonder if it's enough. We read the Bible, we talk about what the Bible says, and then we look at a song. This is just the one we picked, and can it be? We look through each line, each word of it, and we look for what the author is saying. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? The author, through the first verse, is asking questions about, why does this matter to me? The hymn just goes on in the chorus, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? We sit, we read the scripture, we talk about this hymn, and we sing it together. Singing. To utter words in musical tones. Everybody said, duh. Did you ever think about the simplicity of singing? To say words with, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. To utter words in musical tones. Specifically, Singing, to sing the praises of. I looked it up. I couldn't do all of the reference work as to how many times singing is talked about in the Bible. I found so many different things, so many different lists, different amounts of lists. Let's just say this. The Bible talks a lot about singing, more verses than I could reference and count. To sing, biblically, means to sing the praises of God. Not just to sing any song. Biblically, the author of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, writing through the hand of men is saying, singing praises to God. When you open your mouth, you are praising God. From its first mention in Exodus chapter 15, when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, seeing God's deliverance, 
to you pick the psalm, to Jesus and the disciples in the upper room, to the Corinthian church, to the countless number of saved people in eternity around the throne that John sees in Revelation chapter 5, singing fills the pages of Scripture. Psalm 22 verse 3 says that God inhabits the praise of his people. This is not just the, I just want to give God glory. I just want to praise God for what he's done. I just want to say that God did this in my life and I'm so thankful. I looked into it in the Hebrew when David wrote it. He meant God inhabits the singing of his praise by his people. That's literally what David meant. Not just that when we give praise, God dwells there. God dwells in, takes up residence in the praise of his people. The Hebrew word for praise in Psalm 22, verse 3, literally means to sing a song. Psalm 40, verse 5, he, God, David writes, put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Psalm 95, verse 1, come let us sing to the Lord. 96, 1, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. 96, 2, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Psalm 100, verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Psalm 100, verse 2, come into his presence with singing. Psalm 147, verse 1, it is good to sing praises to our God. I have to believe that many in this room are built up and encouraged when we gather and sing God's praises. I think that's a natural response by us. We're moved by music. This is why if you go to a secular concert, who knows where in the world last night, and you come into the church house on a Sunday morning, you see things that look similar. It's nothing to go, it has been for decades, it's nothing to go to a concert that is just singing the praises of man with terrible words, building us up in our flesh, where what are people doing? And they look like people in church on Sunday morning singing about God's praises and what God has done in man and building up the praise of God. There's no difference in these things. I've seen people light lighters in churches before during song service. It's strange. Singing. Singing moves us. We're moved in song. The right song comes on, and I'm going to turn into a weep fest in a minute. And it may be a song about God's praise. Those move me the deepest and the most. But sometimes they're songs about family. Sometimes they're songs about place and territory and things that are familiar. Nostalgia just moves you. Sometimes I hear a song from my youth when I was walking far from the Lord, and it moves me to think about that music moves us. And I think that when we sing, there is a part of us that is moved, even if on the outside we look as though we're stone. Sing. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing. What? Singing what? Anything? Do I sing what I want? Jesus loves me, this I know. I love that song. I'm moved by that song. Have you ever read the other verses, the subsequent verses to Jesus Loves Me? I challenge you today. There's your homework. Look up the subsequent verses, not just the one that everybody knows. Look up the other verses to the song and see if you're not moved as you read what a human wrote because of what God did. Singing what? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. God's word has been telling God's people to sing varieties of songs for all time. Paul wrote to two different churches. We see here in Colossians 3.16, we find it in Ephesians 5.19, where Paul wrote to two different churches saying, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Some churches only sing psalms. And how safe a church is to only sing from the pages of Scripture. How safe. Why? Because God's word is pure. There is no error. There is no lie. There is no man who is walking a holy life and fell into sin, and now we've got to wonder if we should sing that song because that guy's a sinner. We're all sinners. The only one who never sinned is God. And God wrote a book called Psalms, a collection of songs, almost every single one of them. And the church is very safe 
to only sing words from the pages of Scripture. But God's Word says, in two different places, singing psalms and hymns. If you're under 40, you probably groaned when I said hymns. If you're over 40, you probably thought, let's do more of them. Sing psalms and hymns, those songs handed down to us from Christians before us. Some churches only sing hymns, and that's okay. We should never really look around and think, how dare they only sing psalms, or how dare they only sing hymns, or how dare they sing choruses. We should be thankful that people are moved in song to worship God in song as God directs us to do as his people. Some people only sing hymns, and that's good because those songs have withstood the test of time as praises to God. We're good to sing songs that have been passed down through the centuries by God's people to us today. But God's word says that we are to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Those songs written by God's people for God's people today to sing God's praise when they gather. Some churches only sing spiritual songs. And that's okay. Because God is living and active. And God is stirring in the hearts of his people to write songs for God's people to sing right now. We sang a song up here, copyright 2022. That's fresh. In a little bit, we're going to sing a song that I'm pretty sure was written in the 1800s. 2022 was last year. Some of the songs we've sang in the last month or so have been written this year. Those songs show us that God is still stirring the heart of his people to sing his praises in new ways. God's word says that we are to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Emphasis on and. Sing psalms, teaching, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, a variety. God's word says to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are to sing to one another, I want it to be noted, in light of letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So the content of our songs must be doctrinally sound. If I'm to teach and admonish you, I need to know that the songs I'm singing are actually God's word because only God's word is going to be effective in teaching and admonishing God's people. If we are to teach and admonish one another, our songs must be accurately written from the pages of Scripture. And if we are to sing to one another, that means that the songs should actually be able to be, I don't know, sung by the majority of people in the church house. Because when I can't sing it, I'm not able to teach and admonish you in song. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. As these two churches walk forward to, I pray, it's my desire, becoming one church. I hope that's what we see happen, but I don't know what God's going to do with his church. It's his. I trust him by faith. As these two churches walk forward to becoming one church, music has been brought up quite frequently. It's actually quite amusing. I'm not even upset to share what I'm about to share with you. I just want to show you we have been questioned, asked, music has been talked about from many of you. I'll, I'll abbreviate. Pastor, those songs are just too fast. Pastor, those songs are way too slow. You know, it's good that we sing, those songs are so old. Those songs are brand new. Pastor, it's, it's way too loud. I can't hear anything. This is such a beautiful place for a pastor to be. John and I sat musing and in conversation with others. And we're like, what a sweet spot to be in. We got every single person complaining about every single aspect of this church coming together to sing. It's okay to laugh. That's what we've done. I want to highlight something about those thoughts. It's too fast, too slow, too loud, too quiet, too old, too new. Do you recognize the common denominator in all of those statements? Me. Myself. 
I have a preference that we would sing faster songs. I have a preference that we would sing older songs. I have a preference that we would sing louder songs. I have a preference that we would sing quieter songs. I have a preference that we would sing newer songs. I have a preference that we would sing older songs. Me, me, me. When God says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Notice the end of the verse. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. You know what I had to wrestle this week? I had to wrestle this question. When I come into the church house and gather with God's people to sing praise, am I worshiping God with a heart of preference to me or a heart of thankfulness to God? And I know that you may not believe this, but I have to lay down a lot of my own preferences every week. We do not teach and admonish one another according to our preference. We teach and admonish one another according to the word of Christ richly dwelling in us, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom with all varieties of songs. What should be at the very core of our singing is not our preference for what we sing and how we sing it, but our unending adoration of the God who has saved us and our care for one another. It's become strange to me. I haven't yet had the ability to break out of what I do in a church service, but when in church the song words come on or we have a hymnal, what does every one of us by nature do? We focus on the words on the screen or the words in front of us, and we don't go anywhere else. But the reality is when I do this or this, what am I doing? It's all about me at that point in time. When the reality is, it should be, don't drop a single anchor. We're almost home. We should be looking at and engaging one another because our singing of praise to God, yes, is all about God, but it is all about one another. When we sing and our heart is filled with song and praise flows from us as the music is played and we lift our voices, that is to exalt our God and our King and our Savior for all that he has done and to build up and encourage everyone around us. Yet there I stand, I'll go first, like this and like this, instead of we're almost, because we're almost home. Whether you like the song or not, I want you to be reminded and encouraged that because of faith in Jesus Christ, this is not it. And how many other songs? On and on and on. Oh, last night, I couldn't help myself. Last night, I was in a foreign environment with a bunch of people I didn't know. So I was looking around at everybody. Because he lives, I can fade. We're looking around and people are raising hands and singing and praising. Why? Because we, the people of Christ, are building one another up, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom by singing. How often is singing something we don't like to do or something that is so private or something that we are so bent on our own preference that we forget the heart of thankfulness to God. We forget the command to teach and admonish one another in singing. And we turn singing in the church house into something else. So, we sing fast and jubilant songs to remember that our great and victorious God has given us victory through faith in Jesus Christ. Songs that sometimes like, whew, need some oxygen, that was a fast one. We sing slow and sorrowful songs to be reminded that we are sinners and our sin is so grievous to God. We sing loud songs because we're told, lift your voice. And praise your God. We sing quiet songs because we are to humble ourselves that God may lift us up. We sing scriptural songs, psalms, because it is God's word by which we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. We sing ancient songs, hymns, to remember that our heritage as Christians goes so far back in time. And we sing modern songs, spiritual to remember that God is living and active today. We sing songs with instruments because God has blessed us with ability and God finds delight in his people doing what he made them to do. And we sing songs with just our voices because the greatest instrument that can ever sound in the ear of God 
is the voice of his people praising him. I prayed for strength to stay away from the majority of this thought, but it's so important. So much of our modern church culture has hurt the thought that singing is not about me, it's about us. Us singing is about one another and praising God together. So much in our modern culture has hurt this. Lights are dimmed and they're off. Bands are loud, we can't hear a thing. Vocals that no one can follow or keep up with. Songs that nobody knows. On and on. I could derail, but I refuse to. We've built a culture in church singing that focuses on the person, not on the creator. It's private, it's dark, it's not illuminated, and it's not about my singing praises to God to encourage you. It's about what I need for me to be built up. At its core, singing in the church is about God and one another, not me. You may be interested to know there are songs we sing almost every week that I would rather not sing. But when I put my preference away and I come with a heart of thankfulness to God, I'm able to put away my preference and recognize I might not be built up by that song, but you may. And so if I embrace that song that I don't necessarily care for and I sing it out to God with a heart of thankfulness, someone that does love that song may be built up and encouraged in their own life because I put myself away. It's about letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that you can teach and admonish one another in all wisdom through every song we sing with thankfulness in your heart to God. I ask, do you view your singing as teaching and admonishing one another? Does your singing come from a place of preference in your heart to you or thankfulness in your heart to God? If singing and teaching and admonishing Christians around you is that the effect of your gathered voice where we're built up together? Is your singing driving your fellow believers to deeper faith and love with God? I close praying, Father, help us. I pray to be a people in whom the word of Christ dwells richly. Father, in all wisdom, I pray that your word will dwell in us and that in light of your word dwelling in us, we will sing with passion as we praise you, our great and glorious God. Father, that as we sing, we will be encouraged and built up in our life as we sing to one another, as we speak to one another, as we teach and admonish one another singing songs that you have given your church to praise your name and to build one another up. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.